0: You're
1: listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change.
2: Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast with Nori, I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm one of the co-founders of Nori and the creative editor here. Today I have with me Siobhan Montoya-Lavender of Thanks a Ton and also a meme, writer, author, writer and author (laughs) memes, hi, Shiv.
1: (laughs) Redundant author. Hey, Ross, how's it going?
2: i think I like I messed up the taxonomy of what exactly that job should be called literally every single time I've introduced you, but <laughs> glad, glad you're here.
1: That's okay. I like that we have encircled on it. I like that it exists in the nebulous space here. Also with us today is someone with a proper title. We have with us Erica Reinhardt, who is the co founder and executive director of Spark Climate Solutions. Thanks for coming, Erica.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much. It's been fun.
1: Yeah, we are going to be talking to Erica today about methane, which is a topic I think we have not discussed enough on the pod and is growing in the cultural zeitgeist of interest, I believe. We shall see what the receptions are once we air this, but I believe that people really want to know what's happening with methane. And so today we're going to dive in, we're going to hear what the problem is with methane, what the solutions are, and then what Spark Climate is doing to address it.
2: Uh, I think the only other time that we've really spoken in detail about methane was near the beginning of the show's start. With julio friedman i remember we talked about dairy lagoons and i think for a long time i don't think i've heard anything about methane forever because i know it's much more dilute in the atmosphere people have got their hands full just trying to get carbon dioxide done or maybe there's methane destruction and landfills and and that sort of thing but it's always come up tangentially
1: i think mean, i hear about it a lot now where i didn't before or i'll say something about carbon dioxide removal and somebody will jump up and be like what about methane
0: um, wow. which i think
1: is an important wow. okay. introduction okay. to have so Okay, Erica, tell us why we should care about methane. I thought it was just about carbon dioxide. Why should we care about this greenhouse gas?
0: Methane has a surprisingly large impact on our warming. I think it's often uh, underestimated. So currently we have about 1.1 degrees C of global uh, temperature rise and half a degree, 0. 0.5 degrees of that is from methane. So it's it's playing a really big role uh, kind of right after CO2. Um, And so as we think about what does it take in order to bring our temperatures down after we minimize peak temperatures, methane has a really important role to play in parallel with carbon dioxide as well as all other uh, greenhouse gases. So we want to make sure, you know, don't get completely ignored here. (laughs) Um, I think part of the reason that methane recently has gotten a lot more attention is as we grapple with what it would take to stay under 1.5 or the 2C guardrails, given where we're at, um, methane has to play a really important role in in bringing temperatures, in limiting temperature increase and bringing temperatures down. And one of those reasons, uh, one of the reasons behind that is that methane has a somewhat unique role as a greenhouse gas in that it is short-lived. So when we emit carbon dioxide, it stays in the atmosphere for centuries. And this is where you get that um, you know, bathtub uh, analogy, right? We keep adding more CO2 into the bathtub. That's the spigot. And it's only with, you know, opening the drain or scaling carbon dioxide removal that we can start bringing that level down. Um, that is a, a really good analogy for carbon dioxide it doesn't quite work that way for methane in that Mm -hmm. methane does naturally um, uh, degrade in the atmosphere over a few decades and kind of, you know, quote unquote, go away by itself. Um, And given where we're already at, given how much carbon dioxide there's in the atmosphere, given how many other greenhouse gases are in the atmosphere, our climate models are fundamentally depending upon us dramatically reducing our methane emissions so that our atmospheric methane levels come down over the next few decades and basically free up some temperature buffer for that CO2 transition. And so at this point, there really is no way of hitting these targets without methane playing a really important contribution uh, to bringing down our overall emissions and helping to decrease the methane portion of our warming. So if we are to ignore methane
1: and just focus on other greenhouse gases, we would be ignoring roughly 25% of today's global warming. Is that true that it accounts for roughly a quarter of temperature warming?
0: Uh, even more than that, actually. I mean, so currently it's uh, half a degree out of 1.1 1. 1, uh, degrees. So whatever that, you know, 40-ish percent of it works out to be. Wow, so super significant. If you also look at today's emissions and you look at what... It- impact those emissions are gonna have in the near term. Methane similarly has a really, really large role. Um, and that is really because of how potent it is. So the global warming potential, uh, which is kind of measure of how potent a greenhouse gas is compared to CO2 um, is about 120 for methane right when it's released. And then it decreases over time and so by the time you're looking at a 20-year average, you'll hear a number like 86. And once you're looking at a 100-year average, you're looking at something closer to 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's incredibly potent. And so when we, are, when we think about what impact our emissions today have in the next few decades, um, the impact of methane is, is quite large. And of course, this is the t- same time frame on which we're talking about how do we, slow temperature increase as these impacts are becoming more evident. How do we minimize our peak temperatures if we are to hopefully succeed at achieving peak temperatures? And so methane can play a really important role in addition to dramatic carbon dioxide emissions reductions as well as the scaling up of carbon dioxide removal to really bring to enable us to peak our temperatures and bring those peak temperatures down, which will have many positive impacts, um, sort of, you know, directly on human society, as well as helping to reduce some of the natural feedbacks and tipping point risks that we otherwise face.
2: The explanation that I've heard, this is the PE teacher who has to fill in for the science teacher version, but that methane turns into CO2. At some point, it just becomes CO2 or degrades through through UV or something like that, or if, right. you're doing, if you're, or if you're burning yep. methane, which is, as far as I understand it, the same as natural gas. It just turns into one of the byproducts is CO2. That's all yep. correct?
0: Um, yeah, so there's a number of different oxidation processes, um, but the primary uh, output of those oxidation processes is carbon dioxide. Um, uh, so that is is that. That is correct, um, that, uh, that that is kind of what the carbon and methane gets converted to. Um, when you look at what happens when you emit methane into the atmosphere, what happens is that you have methane for some period of time, and then it goes through one of these sink processes. Um, so one of these oxidation processes where it is converted to carbon dioxide and water usually. And a few other byproducts. And so while it is absolutely true that um, emitted methane does result long term also in um, CO2, uh, that long term CO2 impact ends up being um, kind of a minor overall factor in comparison to that uh, short term warming, but it does lead to long term warming as well.
2: It's pretty amazing that it could be improved or the radiative forcing potential of this gas would be improved by converting it into CO2. Because I think people think of carbon dioxide as the main villain here, and maybe maybe in general it is. But uh, it's pretty interesting to think that in some ways CO2 would be preferable to
0: methane. Absolutely. And this goes back to the potent point, right? Um, this little molecule is a strong little guy. <laughs> um, and so as much as we can you know, first prevent Um, them going into the atmosphere and then get them out of the atmosphere via that conversion process makes a big difference. Um, From some very rough calculations, um, it looks like on a molecule by molecule basis, as opposed to a tonnage basis, um, that you can basically think about the warming impact of a molecule of methane being about 40 times as strong as, uh, and molecule of CO two, which just shows you how wow. tiny
2: it is. Yeah. yeah, I remember I listened to Ryan Orbeck on uh, the Catalyst with Shale Khan. This must have been like six months or a year ago, talking about how he wishes that uh, offsetting and crediting were denominated in terms of radiative forcing rather than tonnage. I just dropped a big, a big open <laughs> on you. I've been. I don't know if you saw the the blended ton white paper that we published last week. I did. Cool, Like one of the I, like possible blends for the future I was thinking is what if you had end-to-end, you could do something like methane destruction, maybe you did like 1 40th of a molecule of, of methane was destroyed and then you stored the, the carbon dioxide that resulted in uh, a sink, a land-based carbon sink like soil for 10 years until you had a permanent removal come and stop it. Is that not like the perfect end-to-end solution <laughs> for like a, it's like a full cycle carbon asset that's blended together, that's the combo.
0: I love that we're going straight to radiative forcing credits here. Um, <laughs> <There we go. laughs> so, I mean, in any, uh, we, I think we just have to go back to what our core goals are, right? Which is making sure that we're mitigating um, overall warming as much as we safely can at every point in time. And so, all these different approaches permanent carbon dioxide removals, temporary carbon dioxide removals, um, potentially in the future, methane removals. All are going to have a sort of a different shape of impact, right? Of how much uh, warming mitigation potential do they have, and on what time frame? Um, and so, I think our collective job is to figure out how we can accelerate all these different categories of solutions, um, and then you know deploy them in a, in appropriate and responsible ways um, to help to bring rate of forcing down uh, at every point in time. Um, independent sometimes of of which specific gas it is, and instead make sure that we're we're pulling all of these tools together in the most comprehensive ways. We do need to be careful when we talk about any sort of crediting um that uh, in those situations in particular, where you're sort of setting up for there to be trade-offs between um between different activities, that uh, those activities do fully cancel each other out. And so that sort of look at um, impact over time is 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 particularly important. Of course, there are many ways of deploying solutions that um, don't create those those trade-offs, and we should be pursuing those as aggressively.
2: are you thinking about the time value of carbon? Should we be thinking about the radiative forcing over decades? Or I know a lot of the the drive towards permanent carbon removal, my guess is a lot of it remains a political economy question where we just we're in a carbon accounting world and we don't want corporations to be greenwashing by burning fossil fuel and then negating it with temporary storage. But if you thought about it from a more radiative forcing angle, should we be looking at the decade scale? Is it more important to stop climate change uh, in this century and the permanence is a nice thing to think about later, how much of this is impacted by carbon accounting? Enormous question. Good luck, Erica.
0: <laughs> Thanks for sending me all the easy ones today. <laughs> um, I think about it differently, I think, um, which it is, it is tell me. Um, that we need to be very um, Uh, aware of and prioritizing both near-term and long-term warming uh, and wherever we can, um, you know, we're really pursuing both to the maximal degree because these things can't, shouldn't be traded off from each other. um, And we don't want to be um, making the problem worse for future generations to try to solve. And so I think our, you know, our current carbon, uh, the way we talk about metrics, for example, really is anchored around long-term warming, right? We talk about GWP 100, that is the average um, global warming potential impact of an emission averaged over a hundred years. When we look at something like methane, methane um, uh, is starts incredibly potent, right? About 120 uh, times uh, uh, in the impact of CO2 on a per tonnage basis and, and Goes down significantly over time. And what we see is that when we start just averaging to 100 years, we actually lose those dynamics. We don't take those into account. Um, and so uh, rather than thinking about kind of at what point in time do you want to optimize, I'm really much more interested in how do we um, pursue actions that help us optimize it all uh, and just generally understand the system better. Because for For example, if we have really high overshoot um, uh, on the way to coming back down and still by 2100, reaching 1.5, but say, you know, peaking at two degrees Celsius along the way, that has a lot of impacts. That has a lot of impacts on human systems due to, we were just talking before about the heat wave going on. Um, And that also has impacts on uh, natural systems and how those impact humans. Um, and some of those are going to be irreversible changes. And so we need to be very um, cautious about what warming we have at every point in time to help us avoid those risks. When we talk right now about like 1.5 degree scenarios, um, I think it's important to talk about what those numbers actually, the, the Celsius numbers kind of mean in those models, which is it's talking about our temperature in 2100. It's not talking about the curvature of our temperature from here to there. And depending on what model we're looking at, they can vary wildly, right? You can have a 1.5 scenario with high overshoot, which means we go ha- a lot higher than 1.5. And then we slowly come back down to 1.5 and maybe at 2100, we are on a downward or stable trajectory 1.5. If you look at some of the, you know, three or four degree C models at 2100, um, those usually still have upward slopes at 2100, right? It's not actually saying that those models would have us um, state, you know, quote, unquote, stabilize, that would also be a very unstable state, but, you know, stabilize at three or four degrees or whatever those models are. Um, it's actually saying that at this point in time of 2100, that's where we'd roughly be expected to be. But in those cases, they're usually, um, still, you know, on an upward, uh, trajectory.
1: I'm kind of curious for those of our listeners who are new to methane, could you tell us a little bit about where does methane come from? Why, how much of it is anthropogenic? How
0: much is natural? Why is this becoming such a big problem? Most of the elevated methane emissions are anthropogenic. Um, there have always been natural emissions from systems like wetlands, and there's a little bit from termites, which is a fun fact. Um, uh, Most of the elevated emissions today are anthropogenic, and those come from a few different sectors. Um, agriculture is a very big sector, primarily driven by uh, livestock as well as rice. Um, oil and gas uh, is about, about the next kind of third, um, largely coming from uh, leaks and different um. Operational practices and uh, different sort of industrial processes actually just in, uh, do leak me- uh, do have some methane emissions related to them today. And uh, there's also a number of of waste sectors. So uh, landfills are a big generator of methane, um, as are wastewater systems. So these categories are fairly different. Um, than C- the CO2 categories, um, obviously high overlap in oil and gas. Um, but, you know, when we talk about CO2, we're, we're not as focused on agriculture and waste usually. And I think this is part of the shift that has to happen is really recognizing all of the different sectors that are contributing to uh, climate change right now and emissions um, and making sure that, you know, we have plans on engaging with all of them.
1: Yeah. I'm curious because, you know, you're talking to two carbon dioxide removal nerds. Um, I certainly got, I got introduced to carbon dioxide through my master's degree where I spent measuring carbon fluxes using the eddy covariance technique over mixed urban ecosystems. And then I was like, whoa, CO2, CO2, CO2. This is fascinating. Um, You took a different trajectory and you ended up at methane. And I'm really curious how you decided to care about methane and engage with methane. And then why you decided to found uh, found, uh, Spark And then what you guys are doing at Spark to address methane.
0: Yeah so the way I got to methane was really trying to understand all the different pieces of what needed to happen and what was happening and methane coming up as uh, needing to be a very large priority given its um, large role in overall warming and, and particularly having this really important role in uh, helping us to mitigate near-term temperatures and peak temperatures that needed to happen quickly in order for it to achieve that role. And seeing that um, we are really behind (laughs) on being able to achieve those goals um, for a wide number of reasons. Um, But we are only now having this so-called methane moment, uh, which is wonderful. I'm so glad we're here um, uh, and that it is getting more attention. Um, But the work is in its relatively early days, especially compared to many parts of CO2-related work. Um, And one of the resulting challenges uh, in the methane space right now is that um, we don't have a full suite of ready solutions to deploy. So there's really important work going into deploying that solutions that we do have. And also there's a lot of innovation needed in order to um, more fully flesh out the portfolio of um, things that we can do to mitigate the rest of the anthropogenic emissions for which we don't have solutions. The other piece of methane overall, um, uh, you were asking before about anthropogenic versus uh, natural emissions, right now, anthropogenic emissions are the vast majority of elevated methane emissions. However, um, due to our current uh, kind of warming trajectory, there are increasing risks and increasing evidence as it's starting to happen of natural systems emitting more methane. Um, And that's a risk that um, hasn't been fully incorporated into our IPCC modeling, or there are really high wow. scientific uncertainties still, and we don't really have anything directly to do about it, uh, which is sort of additionally scary. So tons of work on methane needs to happen across all different flavors of work, from innovation to policy change and incentivization to um, you know, actually making the, the changes on the ground. Um, and so the one of the big motivators for starting Spark was to um, be able to focus on a few of the sectors related to um, unmitigated or not fully mitigated risks that we saw in the system that um, weren't yet getting uh, the level of attention that would give us comfort that those risks would be uh, resolved by existing efforts. And uh, that led us to methane as a really important near-term priority. And so the two areas that we've been focused on so far to date have been uh, enteric methane mitigation. So this is colloquially cow burps. Um, It's roughly a third of our methane emissions are just from cow burps. Um, uh, And then we're also looking at atmospheric methane removal, which is potentially of particular interest to the carbon dioxide removal folks listening to this podcast, which is trying to understand if there are ways that we might be able to um, accelerate the atmospheric methane sink, um, uh, in some ways analogous to the carbon sinks, but but different given how the molecule acts differently in order to um, help draw down some of that warming from historical methane emissions faster than natural systems would alone, as well as build a tool that could be deployed on top of methane emissions reductions in order to help mitigate some of the impact of um, elevated natural methane emissions for which we don't currently have um, any other immediate solutions.
2: There's a, there's a lot to ask about here, but maybe we'll cut to the chase for our listeners sake and then we'll we'll go we'll roll the clock back here and start at the beginning. But I've always heard that methane is both more dilute in the atmosphere and ambient air than carbon dioxide, and it's also a less reactive molecule than carbon dioxide. So it's it's harder than carbon dioxide to actually practice active removal. Are, are those things true or or no?
0: Um it is absolutely more dilute. Um that is somewhat made up for by uh, how much more potent it is on a per molecule basis. Um, for I know a given volume of, of air, um the going back to your radio forcing comment before, you know, you do have more radio forcing. Uh, from CO2 than from from methane in the volume of air, but it's, um, methane is a pretty significant chunk. Um, The uh, methane is actually very reactive, which Mm. is why we do see that it has this short um, lived uh, dynamic in the atmosphere is that it is undergoing these reactions, but it is a lot harder to capture so, uh, whereas for carbon dioxide, we think about capturing that molecule and then storing it for methane. We really think about how do we sort of catalytically convert it. Um, uh, and destruction and is what I've have,
2: always heard, right?
0: Yeah. Just, yeah. Just destroy it, convert it, um, to, again, primarily water and CO2 are the byproducts of those reactions. That's where we've come from,
2: right? It's been a primarily one of Methane destruction is a term I've heard for you know, years and years at this point. It's not necessarily a, a new idea, especially with landfills, being able to like flare off the gas that's collected. That's pretty common. Um, there's probably other things that we've done with with uh, methane emissions to date too. I've heard of feeding seaweed to cows, various types of seaweed can reduce the, the methane burps here. Um, are there other things like that that are either waiting to be scaled or have already been tried but are not enough? Like where have we started and where are we going with methane?
0: So there are lots of available solutions that we need to be deploying as quickly as we can. Um, And basically every sector has some portion of the emissions that are able to be addressed today. Um, Those are going to obviously vary by sector as to what they are, but um, you you brought up uh, landfill flaring. Uh, So when we think about existing solutions for destroying methane, those those really apply to high concentrations of methane emissions. So um, flaring, for example, combustion works at, uh, we have to have at least 4% methane in that airstream. And there are some other technologies that bring that concentration requirement down, uh, but still don't address um, many, many emission sources. Um, There are things that we can do upstream of that though, before we talk about flaring or combusting it in different ways to avoid that methane being generated in the first place. There are behavioral changes that, that we can make to avoid methane being in the first place. So for example, diverting food waste from landfills helps to prevent that uh, food from then uh, becoming methane in the landfill and being leaked. So that's kind of the most upstream thing we can do. Um, and then there are ways that we can, um, even once, uh, even sort of without that behavior change in some cases that we can prevent That methane from being created or being emitted to the atmosphere. And so, the seaweed example you brought up is um, for for cows for enteric emissions. This is cow burps, basically. Um, There are some things that are being studied that we might be able to feed to cows that would um, change their digestive systems such that they were producing less methane. Um, Seaweed is being studied. There's an additive, a feed additive called 3NOP that is being deployed in Europe right now. Um, There are um, other just changes in kind of overall feed ratios that can be made uh, without any additives. And then there's a lot of research going into other methods that may uh, be helpful here as well. Um, And so, yeah, across categories, there's, there's, there's a portion of things that we can do, but there are these really large categories where we don't have ready solutions yet. Uh, And so one of those is is grazing cows. We don't yet have a way for a a cow that isn't constantly being fed something by a farmer um, where feed additive could be added in order to bring those methane emissions down. And so there are these kind of really large innovation categories um, across sectors that will help us to add uh, ready solutions to the portfolio that can, you know, once they're ready, also be deployed and further uh, enable us to bring our anthropogenic emissions down.
2: There's, I know you have more to say, but I love the idea that uh, feedlots, just because they have uh, food additives that can be done in a centralized kind of way, may end up creating at least on one metric uh, a more ecological beef product. It's going to make everyone's head explode, and uh, that's fun. is it though
1: is it i mean or is it small (laughs) potatoes in comparison to like reducing the amount of livestock on the planet
0: period like yeah like
2: Like all the like the runoff is all toxic and there's a bunch of uh, by one metric only but you know they're
0: gonna all of these systems have have many trade offs uh that need to be looked at you know very holistically um so that we don't optimize systems around any single metrics that might um uh that might, you know, blind us to the, the full the full ecosystem and, and system impact that we're having.
2: Sorry, Erica. I heard the one little factoid that now I'm gonna repeat at parties for the next three decades. So please don't <laughs> add unnecessary nuance here. Thank you. That's all <laughs> yeah. where, where are we headed though? Like oh sorry should we go ahead No ahead? I no okay. go
1: ahead. Where are we? Where are we headed and kind of what's what's Spark's role here? Because it seems like there's a lot of research needed. You've sufficiently alarmed us in a good way um there's a high risk here doesn't seem like a whole lot's being done what's spark's role and like what where are you going with spark and what's your kind of immediate term mission there
0: so fortunately um you know there is more and more being done on methane across the ecosystem and so i want to make sure that um you know that that is is clear there are many players here who are doing really important work on all different sides of this equation right from Um, innovation, on new solutions, to policy change, to communication, et cetera. And so that's been really heartening to see, um, scale up a lot more in the last few years, building on really important work that was started a few decades ago. So we're specifically focused on a few of these sectors to start and when we hope to add more over time as uh, we have bandwidth to do so, where we see, you know, many more kind of additional efforts needed to be added um, and uh, in a role that we can sort of play with a particular focus right now on on major innovation areas. And so um, our long-term goal is to um, help uh, accelerate the pathway to being able to repair the climate um, by uh, developing, uh, supporting the development of uh, new solutions and solution ecosystems uh, to provide um, more options uh, for deployment down the road, particularly around where we have these types of risks. So we've been really focused recently on helping to build this field of atmospheric methane removal, which is um, really looking at this question of, are there ways of accelerating methane sinks from the atmosphere, which could play an important role and addressing historical methane emissions, as well as um, these you know, risks of rising uh, natural emissions. And just in general, given where we're at, any new tools that we can have that will bring down radiative forcing over time um, and, and help to manage temperatures will be incredibly valuable. It's a very early field. Um, and so we're really focused right now on, um, helping to support the scale up of research around a number of ideas that scientists have had that haven't yet been fully explored, um, to see what might be possible here, what we have to add to the portfolio, um, while also starting to look at how do we ensure that um, as those um, solutions potentially get proven out uh, scientifically, that we're um, you know able to p- pave a way towards. Um, Good governance and uh, sort of supportive and appropriate policy to ensure that these solutions are um, as additive as possible. We're also starting to scale up our work uh, in enteric methane. Um, so, about uh, a year ago, we started doing some road mapping, and the need for solution development and, and research funding came up. And so, we've been doing some work there, um, but we're finally building a much larger uh, team around this. Uh, and have more dedicated time on it. And so we're working on building right now what that strategy is and and where to focus. Um, It's a a different state of a field. A lot more is already happening, which is really exciting to see. Um, And we're also convinced that a lot more needs to happen in any role that we can play in helping to identify what those remaining gaps are in field development uh, and helping to fill them, uh, be that through additional philanthropic funding uh, or spinning up new projects. I would think we'll be really additive to ensuring that um, all of our bases are covered in these fields to give them their best shot at uh, fulfilling the need we kind of need them to fill in order to mitigate our overall climate risk.
2: What is the state of methane removal right now? Are there uh, direct air capture prototypes being built right now that actually capture methane from ambient air? Is it Is it something that parallels carbon removal or is it very different from someone familiar with carbon removal such that they wouldn't even recognize it today?
0: There's a number of different approaches that are um, being discussed. Um, Different levels of research have gone into different of them um, and they really widely vary. And so some of them actually may be some of the same solutions as carbon dioxide removal. And some of them are gonna look very, very different. Um, but overall, just given how much, uh, given when focus on this field started on the research side, we're we're in our very very early days, and so we don't yet know uh, what that portfolio of solutions will be, and which ones are going to pan out. Um, the ones that may end up overlapping heavily with carbon dioxide removal um, are some of the soil-based approaches. So one of our current methane sinks are soils. It's a relatively small uh, sink, about 5%-ish of, of methane that enters into the atmosphere is um, sucked down by methanotrophs in soil. Um, uh, but some of the changes that we might look at for carbon sequestration, like biochar, enhanced rock weathering, um, may also impact the soil bacteria that are um, generating or um, <laughs> Consuming methane, and so one really important thing that uh, we should all be aware of uh, whenever we make any of these changes is that um, you know these systems are all complex and can change lots of different things, including different greenhouse gases. And fortunately, sometimes these things come as co-benefits. Um, but no matter what approach we're studying, we need to sort of make sure we understand the full suite of impacts um, to make sure we're not you know producing methane while well, drawing down CO2 or vice versa, and then looking for those opportunities where we can draw down both, yeah, um, but, which seems like there may be some. Look, yeah, I, I get d- it. Oh, no, you go ahead. No,
1: me. I'm, just, I'm thinking, you know, I, is it is it worth talking about removal or disruption, if we're gonna call it that, or conversion when we're talking? And I feel like I'm becoming my own worst enemy because I always hate it when people say, should we even talk about carbon removal? Shouldn't we just oh, no. focus on decarbonization? And I'm going to do that to you, and I apologize. But because it's such a short-lived <laughs> gas, is it really just about avoiding as opposed to removing? Oh
2: man, I love it. You you really have you really set yourself up perfectly. I'm really here. I'm
0: really my own villain here. Are you
2: still this is yeah.
0: this is no. It this is a great question. It's a common question, and um, you know the. Yes, if you emit methane, it will decay over the course of a few decades, um, and and yet, despite that, we are already seeing half a degree and rising of temperature increase from methane, um, and unfortunately, we are not on a yet on a trajectory to have that go down. Our atmospheric methane levels are still accelerating, and so. I think the most basic answer to that question is um, if we care about the current warming that we see and if we care about the warming that we see until this magical day, when all of elevated natural emissions and anthropogenic emissions go away, then we should absolutely care about any tools that we may be able to add to the portfolio that help to draw down or break down that half a degree and growing of warming as quickly as we can which atmospherically we are depending on those atmospheric levels going down in order to achieve any of our targets. Um, And so I think this partially comes back to, you know, how much emphasis we put on near-term versus long-term warming um, and what those trajectories actually mean. The unfortunate reality is given where we're at, our, our trajectory really, really does matter. And every tool that we could be deploying here that can be additive can play an important role in bringing down overshoot and our overall peak temperatures, which have numerous impacts on um, naturalism feedbacks and tipping points where uh, it's not only our long-term trajectories here that matter. And uh, given sort of perturbation of natural systems, If we don't do everything we can to keep temperatures down, we're also at increasing risk over time of higher and higher um, natural system emissions, not only on methane, but also on carbon dioxide from these systems. And so we're setting ourselves up to be sort of hiking a a taller and taller mountain here on how much carbon dioxide removal, how much methane removal could be needed down the road. And so every ounce of preventative action is is valuable and trying to shift that trajectory.
2: My favorite question of this show. I feel like you've been carrying that around in your soul for however long you've been involved in CDR, Siobhan. <laughs> and now you got to spring the trap on someone else.
1: There you like, go. What was, what was there you go. But that was a really but that was a really good That's answer. Good idea, and I liked I like that you framed it in terms of like, if we care about this stuff, I'm gonna start saying that more often. It's like, well, I don't know, you do we do thing. we care about 1.5 degrees? Do we care about two degrees? If so, we have to care about carbon removal. And it sounds like methane removal and and it's all solutions, right? It definitely feels like you and Spark in general has a very yes and approach. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of climate solutions, right? I mean, it, we just, we all have to go in with like this yes and approach. And so I think obviously bringing that to methane is really important and the potency is really getting me. Cause I had read all these statistics around 80, you know, 80 times, but when you, when you point out that you know fresh out of the source we're talking about 120 times it really makes me rethink so for our listeners who don't know erica kindly called us out on our on our memes channel and was like you're not doing any methane memes and ask and you shall receive we responded with a methane meme and now i'm thinking it it wasn't it wasn't Potent enough. Like I didn't do a good enough job <laughs> illustrating.
2: It wasn't 80 how... times as good as a single CO2.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Wow. I mean, that's,
2: that's, a, that's a high bar. Your that's job is really bar. hard. I'm realizing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but man, that's just, that's really potency. is just, wow. Wow. We really need to, we really need to get methane under control.
0: We sure do. We're, we're all depending on that and many other things going right. Um, so as long as we can all Continue on, you know, each of these important things in parallel. We've got a shot, but um, man, is, are there a lot of a lot of challenges that we all need to be figuring out how to tackle right now.
2: What about the the third greenhouse gas of nitrous oxide? What's the status of that? Are people thinking about removing that? I've heard I've heard mumblings about it, but I feel like it's the people who are really bleeding edge and trying to find something that is kind of blue sky in any other business. Uh, terms turns of phrases that may apply here. What's going on with that? Do you know?
0: Um not not as much as methane removal, which is definitely not as much as carbon dioxide removal, kind of in the, you know, in the order of uh of of size of impact on the atmosphere, so so also follows focus on removal. Um uh you know we haven't we don't we haven't had a large focus on not nitrous oxide removal. Um there's a lot of work to do on nitrous oxide reduction, for sure. Um, Like dentist
2: offices, right?
0: uh, No. (laughs) Somewhere else? (laughs) Largely agriculture. Um, uh, I don't think dentists fit into agriculture category, but someone (laughs) will probably correct me on that. Our overall warming impact from nitrous oxide is important and also unfortunately growing and yet also much smaller than either carbon dioxide or methane. And so if you think about any um, approaches that are going to require air movement and the energy cost of that, then you'll be getting much less climate impact from just nitrous oxide than you would from just methane or just carbon dioxide. There may be ways of combining some of these systems, perhaps. If you are able to actually have a process that would capture or convert that nitrous oxide um, at sort of low overall climate costs, right? So like low energy cost. Um, I have yet to see any proposals for how that might be done in a way that would be sort of cost plausible and climate beneficial. Um, uh, There may be natural systems approaches. Um, This hasn't been an area that I have dug a bunch into, given um, just how much work we see to do on methane removal right now, and um, uh, the much higher overall impact that methane currently has in the atmosphere compared to nitrous oxide.
1: Erica, what do you think, for our listeners who want to get involved or who want to make policy or advocate for policy or want to start research, what's the most impactful area right now in methane? Is it just getting the facts down on paper? Is it still in the research phase or what's what's something people can interact with?
0: So on methane overall, um, we need to be all hands on deck on figuring out how we cut methane emissions. Uh, And there are lots of different places to plug in there. There are um, you know there there are many existing solutions for some of those sectors that we need to figure out how to deploy them faster. Um, and depending on the sector that you know might take um, business model innovation, finance innovation, technical innovation, um, uh, awareness building for different behavioral changes, et cetera. So tons of places to get involved in methane mitigation um or methane emissions avoidance Um, and uh, you know within methane that is absolutely our um sort of the first front of the methane fight is, is cutting emissions when we talk about the removal space given the current state it really is right now focused on sort of really fundamental research um, to understand what these methods are and advance the science around them, and so at this stage, I think there are there are fewer places to get as directly involved um, outside of more of the sort of you know academia uh, policy type angles, um, and that work right now is incredibly important and and still very in its you know early small days. Um, but there's a, there's a just a wider variety of activities on the methane emission side, methane emissions reduction side, depending on people's backgrounds, which may offer more different ways of plugging in.
2: I have one final question as we near the conclusion, which is: Erica, can methane be stored in aluminium?
0: I've never heard of that.
2: <laughs> I just it's like the, the way that British people say both of those words, methane. <laughs>
0: Oh, methane? Sorry, I missed that. I missed the <laughs> methane. I just got the aluminium. <laughs> like, what kind of question is that? We're, we're in the bad
2: part of the show, which often gets cut by the way. It always goes That's... one joke further than it really needs to. And then you're like, cool, we're going to cut five minutes ago and wrap it there. <laughs> but where can people follow your work? I'm going to try and save it now. Where can people follow your work, Erica, if they want to stay involved with Spark and you personally?
0: Um, yes, you can find me on Twitter um, and you can find Spark on Twitter as well. Um, you can learn more about Spark and and these fields on our website that's sparkclimate.org. I think our Twitter handle is at Spark Climate, super original. Um, and uh, we have a newsletter which we occasionally send things out to. Um, but there's a lot of information on our website right now, particularly on really understanding what the different approaches are that are being researched um, for atmospheric methane removal. If anyone wants to jump deep down the nerd hole of um, what these approaches are, what some of the trade-offs might be and what the innovation areas are um, that would be required to help see them through to fruition. We have a lot more coming on that front as well, which we will update our newsletter about, as well as our our Twitter. Um, uh, Really looking at um, high priority research areas and research questions that need to be answered um, and some roadmaps for the field. Uh, And so those are additional places for folks to engage, particularly who are on the, you know, the science and R&D side. Uh, We'll be helping to highlight where we see some of the highest leverage um, needs uh, to help um, sort of further illuminate where people can get involved in different ways.
2: One other question that came up, too, I felt I had to catch myself. I'm so used to saying carbon removal when I'm talking to a methane specialist. Should I be saying carbon dioxide removal? Do you think? we should be pedantic and really insist that we're talking about a specific gas or is it just carbon removal when it's inclusive of all of them? Is that the taxonomy here?
0: Um, uh, I'm, I don't think you should be pedantic between carbon removal and carbon dioxide removal. I think carbon removal mm-hmm. at this point is largely understood to be carbon dioxide removal. Um, usually when we talk about greenhouse gas wide or agnostic removal, we say greenhouse gas removal or negative emissions technologies um to avoid that confusion and so um yeah to to use the umbrella term you can use either of those and then uh not then have to you know remind ourselves that yes indeed methane does have carbon in it which it sure does
2: yeah don't want to don't want to be that person well thanks both for for coming and hanging out uh it was fun got some laughs in there even snuck one by erica there at the end with the confusing. I don't know if that joke is going to make it. I
1: don't know if one's going to make the cut.
2: <laughs> That's going to be too hard to edit out now. There's too many allusions to it. It's saved. It's in there now. I'm no it's longer in there. Yeah, yeah, Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com. Follow us on social media. And we will catch you next time.